Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode is Season 3, Part 12, Current Events. What's going on in the world around the premiere of this episode in 2017? So we're going to talk about the number one film at the box office, uh, what was uh, going on in the news, and also what was on the cover of Time Magazine's issue that was dated uh, for the week that this aired. This episode aired on Sunday, July 30th, 2017. The number one film in the country at this point was, uh, after this weekend, was Dunkirk, making $26.6 million. Kind of small amount, although the film did pretty well overall. It was number one last week, so we won't go over it again. I discuss it in uh, the episode for Part 11. A variety of relatively minor but significant international events occurred on this day. Vladimir Putin cut the number of U.S. diplomats allowed in Russia in retaliation for new sanctions against his government, springing from allegations of interference in the 26th election on behalf of Donald Trump, obviously. In China, Xi Jinping celebrated the 90th anniversary of the People's Liberation Army, the armed forces of the Chinese state. In the lifetime of a single person, this organization had grown from a few thousand communist rebels staging the Nanjing Uprising to the most massive military in the world, although its budget still lags far behind the U.S.'s. And Xi used this event to consolidate his authority and popularity as perhaps the most significant leader of the Chinese Communist Party since Mao and Deng Xiaoping. Meanwhile, the Venezuelan government was struggling to encourage participation in its effort to create a new constituent assembly. This would be a legislative body that would be capable of writing a new constitution due to the intransigent obstruction by the opposition-led National Assembly, which was the existing legislature at that time. So basically, this constituent assembly was grassroots mass meetings, but tilted toward the leftist and working class sectors of the population that sympathized more with President Nicolas Maduro versus his opposition. They were attempting to create new structures more sympathetic to their goals, but most of Maduro's critics refused to participate, and the protests for this resulted in three deaths. The vote on this day resulted in permission to create a new legislature, which contributed very directly to the attempted coup in early 2019. At that point, the obscure legislator Juan Guaido would be chosen by U.S. officials and some of the Venezuelan opposition, although others regarded him as far too marginal to be a legitimate figurehead and claimed to be the actual ruler of Venezuela, because they would say that this constituent assembly uh, was invalid, as was the later Maduro re-election in 2018. It wouldn't really result in much material support for Guaido, though, and there was no uh, hoped-for regime change. So back at this time in 2017, when this ball was being set in motion that would uh, ultimately result in that backlash, there was a curious alignment of unabashedly liberal media and the Trump administration in the U.S., all discrediting the Venezuelan president. The cover of Time magazine this week was called Red Handed. For This is for the week of July 24th, 2017. Following a week off, Time is returning to newsstands with Donald Trump Jr. at this point. He's on the cover in a black and white portrait that matches the monochrome Mueller portrait, which was featured on the cover a few weeks back. This one, however, is much less flattering, with the words of Jr.'s recent incriminating email typed across the entire image, certain phrases highlighted in white. One of these, I love it, appears in small print just above his upper lip, like a Hitler mustache. The piece, by the same author who profiled Mueller, reads, The most pressing question of our time time might be, how bad is it? As a candidate, and now as president, Donald Trump has smashed the gauges that once tracked the normal temperature, pressure, and wind speed in the climate map of American politics. Now, when it feels like the barometer is plunging, we can only watch and wonder, who can predict what's coming next with so many broken indicators? The article goes on to wonder if this time, really though, a real reckoning was coming. 
Spoiler alert, listeners, it wasn't. The subject is Trump's idiotic email exchange with a self-aggrandizing influence seeker, who promised dirty details on the Clintons in the summer of 2016, but instead ended up using their meeting to pursue a tangential issue which the family had no interest in. As always with this investigation, the smoking gun turns out to have fired blanks, often against the gun wielder's old wishes. Yet, still, incompetence provides their best protection. Like Mr. Magoo stumbling blithely through scenarios that should lead to his demise, Trump and his family would keep surviving for years to come. Maybe the Roadrunner, impossibly racing across thin air, is an even better cartoon analogy. Meanwhile, all of the more pragmatic and therefore self-doubting pursuers would continue to look down nervously, and hence fall to their doom, just like Wiley E. Coyote. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also support this work on patreon.com slash lost in the movies tomorrow's episode covers season three part 12 in the weeds character details and the odd timeline of the episode uh, we'll delve into all of that what's happened there is the cancellation of democracy in essence a coup d'etat on behalf of the government itself has canceled democracy in the u.s senator marco rubio threatens severe sanctions if the assembly happens claiming it will permanently change quote democratic order Organization of American States head Luis Almagro called it a coup and published a personal video warning against it. Maduro is calling for the assembly as a peaceful resolution in response to the violent protests that have rocked the country for four months. But many have responded with more violence, escalating tactics against state forces like using an improvised explosive device against the National Guard, and even targeting participants in the constituent assembly. On July 10, a chavista running as a delegate was assassinated shot eight times in broad daylight. With street protesters and leading regime change advocates treating the Constituent Assembly as the end of the line for Venezuela, I wanted to find out what exactly it was and why it poses such a threat to democracy. While traveling around the countryside, I saw that one thing is clear. There's a high degree of excitement and participation in the Constituent Assembly from Venezuelan society. I went to the rural agricultural town of Cojedes in the northern region of the country, hours from the city center, where hundreds of poor and working class community Venezuelans were converging to discuss the process. 